Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner. Cahen is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. Cahen and Little Red Hen – just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails with me, your host, Forrest Whitman. And we invite all of our listeners, as always, to come and Hop in my caboose here. Now find yourself a comfortable seat. You can even you can even take the angel's seat, which uh, some of our listeners haven't ever done. And uh, so gather around. We've got the we've the, the coal fire is is very nice and warm here in the old cast iron stove in the back of the caboose. And uh, there's a little bit of snow bumping up against the windows today. <laughs> and we have within us the 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 key to the understanding of each of the poems. Yes, friends, poems that we're going to hear today from Linda LaRocca, poet extraordinaire. We once called her the raven-haired beauty of the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> so, Linda, welcome to, welcome to the On the Rails Caboose. Oh, thank you so much, Forrest. And, and really, that introduction was great. Thank you. <laughs> I don't deserve it. Let's hear some poems. Okay. Well, I thought I would start out with um, several railroad and train-related poems. Most of them are not mine. Um, and I'm starting today with a poem by William Packard. And William Packard was the founder and editor of the New York Quarterly, and he taught at New York University. He also happened to be the workshop teacher for the very, very first poetry workshop I ever attended. So he has like a special place in my heart. And he's also, he, he was a great poet. So a lot of times he does not title his poetry. This poem is untitled. I remember as a child, standing on a high hill in East Northfield, listening to the whistle of a freight train going slowly on its way. And I could see the locomotive making great, huge puffs of smoke, creating a fine line of white as far as Bernardston. Its destination was a distant trestle, crossing over into Brattleboro and the great green mountains of Vermont. I remember heavy clouds were overhead and they were towering tomorrow in the sky. I was afraid. I raced across an open field and I could feel a question rise inside and out there in the air. What are you? And I answered, 
I am something that is going to be hopelessly broken, racing, racing, breathless through the field until I reached a row of stately maple trees. And that was an untitled poem by William Packard, which I really like. I think it's beautiful. Isn't that a beautiful poem? And didn't we didn't we all have that experience as 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 young kids? I mean, I certainly remember in Chicago growing up with right next to the Great Western Railway, and and yeah, yeah, there was something something really magical. It it, it opened that. Uh, oh my! I hope some of our listeners have had that experience too. Somehow seeing a train like that you it opens opens you to a bigger world you say my god where's where's that going where am i going on that train yeah yeah, yeah. and that line its destination was a distant trestle i just i think that's so beautiful it's yes. so cool because it's so true right we don't know where they're going we just see them go by yeah like well, not to sound trite but like life itself mm -hmm. we, yes we, 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 there's there is that distant trestle, and uh, yeah, oh my, wonderful, well, wonderful. Is he still? Is is he? I don't yeah, He's probably not still alive, is he? No, unfortunately, he's not. He um he passed away a long time ago, fairly young. He was only in his sixties, but um he was he was a really wonderful poet, and um I have another one that is by a poet that people will recognize. This one is called. The Night Mail, and it's by W.H. Auden. And I'll give a little introduction to this poem because um, he wrote it in 1936 for a documentary film of the same name, also called The Night Mail. And um, the film is about a London, Midland, and Scottish railway mail train that traveled from London to Scotland. And basically the whole point of the film is just to show how the mail is distributed by train. And so you'll hear in this poem, like the rhythm of the poem's words really resembles a, a train chugging along. And the train, this is very charming to me, but the train in the poem is kind of personified as this calm, benevolent, sweet, kind being that's always on time, right? Always reliable, always dependable. But import, as important as the train is, is the mail, right? Because in 1936, it was old fashioned surface mail. Um, people were getting physical mail, letters, postcards, invitations, and everyone looked forward to getting their mail, no matter you know, what their income level was, um, their social class, the mail was hugely important to everyone. And as far as said before, it's because people are connected over long distances by mail as they are by railroads, right? both bring people together. And that's really portrayed in this poem, which I finally will read now. And <laughs> it is called The Night Mail by W.H. Auden. This is the night mail crossing the border, bringing the check and the postal order, letters for the rich, letters for the poor, the shop at the corner and the girl next door, pulling up bedrock, a steady climb, the gradients against her, but she's on time, past cotton grass and moorland boulder, shoveling white steam over her shoulder, snorting noisily as she passes silent miles of wind-bent grasses, 
Birds turn their heads as she approaches, stare from the bushes at her black-faced coaches. Sheepdogs cannot turn her course. They slumber on with paws across. In the farm she passes, no one wakes, but a jug in the bedroom gently shakes. Dawn freshens, the climb is done. Down toward Glasgow she descends, toward the steam tugs yelping down the glade of cranes, toward the fields of apparatus, the furnaces set on the dark plain like gigantic chessmen. All Scotland waits for her. In the dark glens, beside the pale green locks, men long for news. Letters of thanks, letters from banks, letters of joy from girl and boy. Receipted bills and invitations to inspect new stock or visit relations, and applications for situations, and timid lovers' declarations, and gossip, gossip from all the nations, news circumstantial, news financial, letters with holiday snaps to enlarge in, letters with faces scrawled in the margin, letters from uncles, cousins, and aunts, letters to Scotland from the south of France, letters of condolence to highlands and lowlands, notes from overseas to Hebrides, written on paper of every hue, the pink, the violet, the white, and the blue, the chatty, the catty, the boring, adoring, the cold and official, and the heart outpouring, clever, stupid, short and long, the typed and printed and spelt all wrong. Thousands are still asleep, dreaming of terrifying monsters, or of friendly tea beside the band at Cranston's or Crawford's, asleep in working Glasgow, asleep in well-set Edinburgh, asleep in granite Aberdeen. They continue their dreams and shall wake soon and long for letters, and none will hear the postman's knock without a quickening of the heart. For who can hear and feel himself forgotten? And that was The Night Mail by W.H. Auden. Wonderful poem. Isn't, isn't that great? Isn't, isn't that a lovely poem? That's, and that poem is, is, as you know, standard. Well, pretty much when you take your college poetry 101 class, <laughs> and uh, even as you read it now, boy, those lines come back, don't they? And, and of course, we had wonderful mail trains in this country before we started dismantling our railroads. And um, uh, we, in fact, uh, talked for a, a while here with uh, a man named Davis who uh, worked in on some of those railway post office cars. And of course, they, they were in the car uh, sorting the mail and they would pull, pull into the next town and out would come the, the big bag and in it would be the, the mail for, for that town. And it was very fast much more efficient than what we, we have now. Uh, we made the mistake of going to airplanes. Well, at the same time, we made the mistake of dismantling our railroads, which we, you know, as, as everybody always says, it took us 100 years to build up the finest rail system in, in the world. And it took us about 50 years to completely dismantle it and uh, in favor of airplanes and trucks. But... Um, and that may change. That, that may be a changing dynamic, too. But anyway, he sent his girlfriend a, a, a love letter, and he put it in the 
mailbox in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. And um, the next morning, she read that love letter in Brighton. And <laughs> that's what you would do with the night mail. Mm -hmm. Because it was overnight, and they were right in that. They, it was sorted in that car, handed out, given to the the, the morning routes, and uh, of course they had morning and afternoon route, and uh, off 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 it would go. So amazing. And now, of course, unfortunately, it's who knows what happens. It goes probably to some central sorting place, and maybe a couple three days later, it gets out. At which point, his love might have died, and I. <laughs> I often wondered what was that he wanted to know that that urgently, and uh, what he wanted to know was well. This is quite an aside. Sorry, Rick, we're we're a little bit of an aside, but just very quickly, then we'll get back to the poems. He wanted to know was she pregnant or wasn't she? <laughs> That's what, and she wasn't. So there you go. But <laughs> all right, we're we're far afield. We're far afield. Back to railroad poetry today. We're all sitting around sitting around the old cast iron stove here in the caboose, listening to uh, this wonderful, wonderful poet, uh, Linda LaRocca. And Linda, let's, what's next, poetry-wise? Um, okay, what's next is a poem that really, to me, epitomizes the difference between the haves and the have-nots in, in this country and in the entire world, really. Now, um, fair warning, it does contain an ethnic slur. It uses the word Dago, which is a disparaging term for Italian-Americans. Um, and it, it is a poem of its time. It's written by Carl Sandburg in uh, 1916 from his book, Chicago Poems. And it's called Child of the Romans. The Dago shovel man sits by the railroad track eating a noon meal of bread and baloney. A train whirls by, and men and women at tables alive with red roses and yellow jonquils eat steaks running with brown gravy, strawberries and cream, eclairs and coffee. The Dago shovel man finishes the dry bread and bologna, washes it down with a dipper from the water boy, and goes back to the second half of a 10-hour day's work keeping the roadbed. So the roses and jonquils shake hardly at all in the cut glass vases standing slender on the tables in the dining cars. And that's Child of the Romans by Carl Sandburg. So what do you think, Forrest? I feel like there's the uh, difference between the haves and have-nots. There it is. Yeah, there it is. And we, we certainly, as a kid growing up in, in the Chicago area, we certainly did feel that. You'd, you'd see a real first-class passenger train going by, and, and but you'd be out, you'd be out just walking, walk, really walking along, watching it, watching the people sitting there in the dining car, thinking, "Wow, I've never ridden, I've never had a first-class ticket in my life." If I walked into Union Station in Chicago and said, "I want a first-class ticket," my mother would say, "What? You're not a first-class person. You." You're, you're what you're not getting a first class ticket and and uh, yes indeed and that's the well of course that's the that's the big divide that's with us still really and between the one percent and uh everybody else the rest or of these 
Yeah, and the rest of us, yeah, thank <laughs> that, that was commentator, by the way. That what you hear in the background occasionally, that is the real Rick. Rick White is the engineer. He's the engineer who pulls my caboose here where we're all sitting around, sitting around the potbelly stove. Thank you very much for that, Forrest. And I want to throw this in here. I also, uh, my, my father was a railroad man and I lived along the tracks on the west side of Chicago. And um, I worked for a news agency. And uh, one of my chores was to go across the street from this downtown shop over to the train that came in at five o'clock and it was bringing the, the, latest, um, the latest edition of the paper. And, uh, you know, that was done several times a day. And the New York Times came in at a certain hour. And then they were always saying, Ricky, go over, time to go over and get the, you know, a pack of papers, maybe uh, 50 or 60 papers or something like that that they put on the newsstand. And uh, talking about the Saxon Mail kind of reminded me again of that uh, portion of my childhood. You were hardly a child when you worked there. Weren't you at least a, a teenager, maybe an older teenager? I don't know. Yeah, you know, kind of a young teenager. Um, yeah, younger teenager, 12. Oh. But there it is, that Sandberg poem. That's, that says it. And, of course, using the uh, ethnic slur word, <clears throat> um, you, you, can use, <laughs> you can use those words under FCC regulations if they are an integral part of the work of art meant to convey nude, n what is it? Anyway, the, the, those are the five or six human anatomy terms you can use. And then there are the, these other ones, which are the ethnic terms. You can use all those, but they have to be an integral part of the work of art. Mm -hmm. And of which, course that is. Yeah, yeah, you can't really read that poem without using that word as offensive as it is to us now. Um, yeah. that's what people were called, you yeah. know, back then. And certainly Italians were working on railroads all over the country, including right here in Salida. So, yeah. Yeah. well, I'm kind of changing gears here a little bit, going Let's from, um, <laughs> like a, a, a famous dead poet to, um, a poet who is really well known in Colorado. Um, he was the Denver Poet Laureate. And he spent a lot of time actually in Salida. He gave workshops and he, um, he uh, did a lot of readings here. And his name is Chris Ranzik. And I'm going to read a couple of, of his poems today. And they're both from his book, Never Summer, Poems from Thin Air. And this book was the winner of the Colorado Book Award for Poetry several years ago. Um, so I'll just read one first. And to me, this poem that I'm going to read for the, for the first time is really like the um, train equivalent of, of a road trip, you know, a car road trip. And it's called Train Ride, Lengthwise, California. Magpies wait in the waist-high corn for dawn. Crows rest in the tops of palms, lilting over tomato rows. The train leaves anyway, sprints past indigenous marshes, grassland, skims red mud of desiccated pools, past brown tufts of tule, tule past the beat carcasses of cars. Jackrabbit, stay a minute, but it darts from the track. A catatonic pheasant stands stiff by an abandoned boat, a gray wood hull, 
that long since relaxed form and fell to frowning. Passengers scanned the vacas southwest to the coastal mountains, brim of a steaming cup of fog. We are leaving, not coming back, past the math of fence slats clumped like musical notes. Eucalyptus slowly slough long strips of bark and rain a steady rain of husky seeds as the breeze does its thing, gets in the feather ends of pampas grass and shimmies. A pair of hawks tilt one wing, then the next, and rise in thermal drafts above Salinas. Mothballed ships in a backwater bay rust, rust in their moorings, their dank rooms and dark interiors, each as good as a nightmare. For this much, we are grateful. For the train, listing and clacking, dropping bass notes, thumps on the earth's acoustic crust. The drunks three seats ahead got sloppy long before Lompoc and have begun to curse, young drunks old enough at last to have bad luck. By Santa Barbara, one has found his snore, the others magazines. The train carves past a burnt-out Santa Barbara store, black melted lumps of tires, sculptures of a fool who tossed his cigarette on a patch of weeds. A hundred homes have turned charcoal blots, soot spores dribbling up along with smoke. The train is Union Station bound. L.A. is about to combust in an orange light, its acrid halitosis at last approaching critical mass. We penetrate miles of well-developed real estate, green, perfect parks tucked grudgingly under overpass or spread across false folds of old landfills where conning towers spread-legged stances tempt kids' kites and send out this white noise. Gridwork lights arise. The train threads the electric patch below Chavez Ravine's Corona down to the stopping place. We exit, leave our metal snakeskin shed on the tracks, and wish for wings or fins or faster legs. And that was Train Ride Lengthwise, California by Chris Ranzik. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a poet. What a poet. You feel like you've you feel like you've taken that ride with him. You you, you really do. Exactly. You really truly do. And I love that. Yeah. In California, what a what a place. We have a, a little sort of amateur, uh, well, uh, we have a little group that rides trains, likes to ride trains. You better come and join us sometime. And, and uh, <laughs> some of the gal, they just um, took the train to L.A. and then from L.A. down to, to, uh, down to um, where did they go? Anyway, south, south. And uh, yeah. The way they described that trip is just the way this trip is described. Huh. Poetry at its best can can do that for us, can it? Yeah. I think so. I do. Yeah. yeah. And and when you're observant, which um, poets have to be, you're seeing everything as fast yeah. as it it zooms by. He was seeing it all. Um. So the next poem I'm going to read is is one that I wrote, and um. It's a, it actually was published in the New York Quarterly, in William Packard's New York Quarterly. And it's about a train transporting people 
to concentration camps um, during the Holocaust in World War II. Wow. And it is called Journey. The boxcar sways, boarded windows, elbows and knees, whispers, a strangled sob, fingers clutch a cloth sack, winter coat, the treasured strand of pearls. Outside, hyacinths bloom. Here there is shallow breath, mumbled prayer, a child's cry, Mama, tell a story. Thin, sour air. In the dark, wrinkled skin stiffens and grows cold. A baby voice chortles. In the dark, we without defenses, fists in mouths, teeth tearing flesh, conjure hyacinths, endless fields of open stars. And that was my poem called Journey. Very nice. Wow. Thank you. Wow, that's just, that, that's, 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 that's a tearjerker. That really is. Yeah. Thank you. How must, I've often wondered, you know, I, of course, worked for four railroads myself. I often wondered how, how do those train crews feel pulling, pulling those trains full of doomed souls, really? Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, well, that'll give us something to think about here in the old caboose as we put our feet up. And uh, again, listeners, uh, you can move around on my house. There's a bathroom up toward the front of the caboose. And uh, we're going to take a, take a little break here from uh, these terrific poems by, uh, from Linda LaRocca, uh, one of our, our special poems. And, and yes, just for, oh, well, we're, uh, the, <laughs> Rick White, our engineer, says, you're done. We're going to cut off the air in your caboose. That's it. It's time for the break. Break now. Okay. <laughs> Friends, we're going we're gonna to close, close out part one of On the Rails this time. And next week, we'll have you come back. So at the end of every show, uh, we, we stick our head out the caboose window, um, feel that cold air rushing by, and we say high ball, which is, of course, the sign, the old railroad sign that, that we're rolling out. High ball. So one, two, three. High ball. 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 High ball.